spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples today. Welcome to Totally Lit, the podcast celebrating reading, writing and creating literature. I'm your host Kai Garvey, thank you for listening. Have I got a special episode for you? I'm joined by the amazing Alison Tate. I can't wait to share this episode with you. Alison is the internationally published best-selling author of middle grade adventure series The Mapmaker Chronicles, The Atterburn Cipher Novels and The Maven and Reeve Mysteries. Her latest novel, The Wolf's Howl, is the second in the the Maven and Reeve Mysteries. It's out now. A multi-genre writer, teacher and speaker with many years experience in magazines, newspapers and online publishing, Alison is co-host of two podcasts, So You Want to Be a Writer and Your Kids Next Read. She lives on the south coast of New South Wales, Australia with her family. Alison, welcome to Totally Lit. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always wonderful to chat. I'm fangirling a little bit. Oh, <laughs> don't be fangirling. I always find chatting about writing so much easier than actually doing it. I'm, I'm up for a chat anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I'll help you procrastinate a little bit. How's that? Absolutely. This is procrasty podcasting, which is, you know, it's a very productive form of procrastination, isn't it? Procrasty podcasting. I have to get my lips around that, but I think I do that way too much. <laughs> You and me both, trust me. So I'd first love to hear about your novel, The Wolf Howls, and your Maven and Reeve mysteries. Can you tell me a bit about them? Okay, so The Wolf's Howl is the second in the uh, Maven and Reeve mystery series. Um, and in The Wolf's Howl, our, our two unlikely detectives, uh, Maven, who is a, a maid, and Reeve, who is a squire, find themselves you know, in foreign territory in the incredibly sort of bleak surroundings of, of Glorn and they have to go up there and they have to find a missing woman and they have to sort of undercut a, a spy ring and they're very, very busy, let me tell you, up there. Um, and it's an interesting one for me because I wrote it in uh, – we were in lockdown. We had, you know, co- we had the coronavirus. It was also uh, – and anyone who's ever lived on the south coast of New South Wales will know what I'm talking about. It was the season of the wind. Um, we have sort of these August winds that howl through on the west, you know, from the west every August. And they are just – it's that thing where you have to really brace yourself to actually go outside because mm. it's so awful. And, in fact, we're experiencing it right now now out of season um and i think i was inspired by that so the wolf's howl is actually a biting clawing wind that you know never stops and is constantly blowing across this fife um and the impact of something like that it it actually it impacts everything it impacts the way people live it impacts the way that they think it turns you in insular it turns you inside you want Mm. to be out of it you know so um and i think that i didn't really even I didn't even really understand the impact of that lockdown and the isolation that we were all experiencing at that time, plus the winds. You know, I I don't think I really fully appreciated how much of an impact that had on me until I read the full manuscript, until I read the first draft and thought, oh, yeah, okay, isolation, wind, Mm. I can see this. But, of course, you know, being a middle-grade novel, there's, you know, a lot of adventure and there's friendship and there's all those things going on as well. So um, I very much enjoyed getting back into the world of Maven and Reeve. I love them as characters. You know, Maven is is this incredibly sharp, incredibly observant, uh, very, very clever girl, you know, in a world where very, very clever girls are not valued at all. Mm. And Reeve is this sort of slightly swaggering, you know, charming young squire who wants to be a knight. And he's also the kind of guy that can take the temperature of a room politically, you know, the minute he walks into it. Um, And so as a duo, they were just so much fun for me to write because they're so different. Um, And the way they come together, uh, they meet in the Firestar, which is the first book, and the way that they come together to bring their strengths and their weaknesses together uh, to solve the first mystery of the Firestar, which is a dazzling jewel that's gone missing. Um, they, it, it's such a joy watching a relationship like that sort of unfold as the, as the book progresses. And I think that when you read the novel, you get the same sense of 
joy that I had about this developing friendship, you know, just from reading it that I had um, when I was writing it. So you've probably touched a little bit already on what my next question is, um, but I'd been doing a bit of Googling and research <laughs> on you and I saw that you have eight books out. Yes. Um, where do you get the inspiration for the stories that you write? Well, I think, um, you know, when I go to schools, I do a lot of school visits. And when I go to schools, I always talk to kids when I'm talking about writing about the fact that, you know, ideas are everywhere mm. and that writers are people who have trained themselves to see those ideas. You know, there's ideas in every single thing that we do. So the Mapmaker Chronicles came from two conversations that I had with my with my son when he was about nine. He's now 18 and, you know, very cool. He's a singer-songwriter and he does all this stuff. But, you know, he used to be nine and he used to be nice and he used to talk to me. And once upon a time. <laughs> once upon a time, exactly. And uh, we had these two conversations because, he was that kid there's always you know you always everyone knows this kid they, they either are this kid or they they have to live with this kid you know the, the kid with the head hurting questions like he was mm. always asking me the kinds of questions that I just I had to go and google you know um and one of these one of these conversations happened in the middle of the backyard and we were standing out there I thought we were having a mother and son bonding moment like I thought that we were just looking at the stars together on this beautiful summer's night and he was going to remember this forever um but in actual fact, his mind was going far, far further than that. And, you know, he turned to me and he said to me, Mum, how far does space go? And, you know, I'm standing there and, and I'm looking up at this epic black sky, you know, with these billions of stars. And I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, nobody knows and they keep sending out all these, you know, rockets and probes and Lord knows what else. And they're finding black holes that they don't know where the edges are. Mm. And that feeling that you have when you don't know where the edges are, is kind of head hurting. Mm. You know, so we went and Googled it and, and of course, nobody knew and he was okay with that. Like, he didn't know but no one else knew and, and that was all right. And then the following night we were reading a horrible histories book and it was about explorers and, you know, he sort of said to me, how did they map the world, which is, a, uh, you know, something that um, I can actually answer because I've always had a, a bit of a thing for old maps. I just think that they're beautiful and I love the way they show us you know, what we know about the world, but also what we didn't know about the world at various times. And, you know, I said to him, well, you know, they'd have to, they had to go. They had to get in ships. They had to sail out onto endless oceans. They didn't know, you know, where they were going. They didn't know if there was going to be land. They thought they were probably going to die in some, you know, entertaining way. And horrible histories are always entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I said – and then I sort of had this moment. I said, well, they, they would have felt exactly the same way that we feel when we stare out into space. They didn't know where the edges were. And, you know, in the moment of having that conversation, I, I just sort of thought that feeling and that question, how did they map the world, that feeling of not knowing where the edges were, and I had this idea about a, about a race to map the world, and my hero, Quinn, just came to me straight away because he was the boy who didn't want to go. Mm. And I think that just basically came from the fact that I wouldn't want to go. Like, if someone came up to me and said, well, look, you know, we're going to pop you on a ship, we're going to send you out pretty sure you're probably not going to come back because, you know, a lot of explorers did not come back. Um, we're going to send you out to do that. You know, how do you feel about that? And my first instinct would be, you know, actually, no, I'm fine here where I am. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much. Um, so that that was sort of like where the inspiration for the Mapmaker Chronicles came from. And that was something that I, you know, that was something I heard. And then the Book of Secrets and the Book of Answers, the Adaban Cipher, they came from something that I read. I read an article about the Voynich Manuscript and, it was an article oh, yes, celebrating the yeah <laughs> celebrating the 100 years of the discovery of this book. You know, they'd found this book, and when I say book, I mean an illuminated manuscript, beautiful, beautiful thing. And they discovered it in an attic in Poland, and it was named after the you know the bookseller who first brought it to the market. Um, but for 100 years, people had been trying to read it, like mm. the whole thing's written in code, and. Nobody actually knows quite what it is and the language in the book, you know, had no relationship to any other sort of, you know, language or development of language that that, that anybody recognised. And so, you know, this question for me was I got to the end of that little article and all I could think was why? Like why would you write a book that no one can read? What mm, could this thing possibly secrets does be? It have? Exactly. Mm. And so, you know, the Adaban Cipher novels just became 
sort of 130,000 words of me writing myself an answer to that question. Um, now, the Adaman cipher is not the Voynich manuscript. It's mm. a complete fabrication, obviously based on it's a, it's a cipher. It's, it's a book written in code. But, you know, why it was written and how it was written and who wrote it and, and all of those things are completely um, made up. But I think we see things in the world and we use them as a jumping off point for um, for the stories that we tell. And the Maven and Reeve mysteries came out of my long-standing love of mystery novels. Like I've just always loved them. I've read them since I was five. You know, I adore trying to figure out the answer before the author does. And let me tell you, when you are the author and you are also trying to figure out what the answer is as you write it, which is kind of how I write, um, it can be a little bit challenging. But um, th those novels bring together just a whole lot of things that I love, which is um, mysteries and, you know, almost history. I, I, mm. I, I have always loved, you know, history and particularly med medieval history. So, you know, yes. this, the worlds are based off that. And, um, and then just this idea of detectives. I love this. And friendship, the two of them, you know, coming together as friends, even though they didn't know each other and the development of that relationship. So, um, but at the heart of it always is, is this puzzle of, of, you know, where did the fire star go? And just when I thought I knew the answer, I didn't. I had to actually rethink the whole thing. So, um, they're, they're very challenging. And particularly when you write the way I do, which is, is sort of, you know, just, come up with an idea and start writing. Mm. Um, I do outline a bit more than I used to, but even so, even writing a, a, a puzzle like this, I'm, I'm kind of making it up as I go along. So when I discovered who it was that had actually taken the Firestar, um, I was probably as startled as, as readers were. It was were. a surprise for you as well. <laughs> it was. It was like, of course. Oh, wow. All right then. <laughs> Which was a lot of fun. Well, that gives me hope because I don't know the ending of my novel I want to write and that's been holding me back. No, oh, I and think sometimes, look, I have friends who just look at the way I write with great and serious horror because they would never, ever think about approaching a novel like that. Like they, they like a spreadsheet and they like to know exactly what's going on before they begin. And there's a lot to be said for that because what, what happens when you write like that is that you do not write yourself into a hole, whereas I do regularly write myself into holes and have to actually give a lot of serious thought as to how I'm going to um, get out of those holes. Uh, in the Mapmaker Chronicles, the second book, The Prisoner of the Black Hawk, I had this epic plot point where I had put Quinn, my hero, you know, down a deep, dark hole in the middle of the jungle, bad guys at the top, and it was really exciting stuff. But then I realised that I had no idea how he was going to get out. Like, it, it took me weeks to work out how to get him out of that hole in a logical way because mm. that's the thing. It always has to make sense within the world that you've created. Um, so sometimes it... it um, it does slow you down and you do you can end up writing a lot of words that you may not necessarily use but um it's i've tried writing different ways and it's the only way that keeps me interested enough mm. to actually keep working i do have a vague idea of where i think it's going um i, I think it's always have to, good to have have an idea of what you're working towards mm. um but what i discovered with the fire star in particular was that uh, what I thought had happened was not what had happened at all. But, but that was kind of interesting because I got to follow Maven and Reeve with a very solid idea that they thought they knew what had happened as well. Um, and then that turned out that they were wrong too. But the wolf's howl was a slightly different thing. I got the full uh, – I was standing in the shower, <laughs> in the shower, which is a great place for thinking. Um, and the whole kind of central puzzle and solution to that came to me in the shower – but then I had to figure out how to make it work within the story. So that was, a, you know, another challenge within itself. And do you find you ever get writer's block or stuck in any way or do you just keep writing to write through those moments? Well, I think um, I, I never consider what I have as writer's block because I, I think I've always got lots of of ideas. There's always a lot of ideas of things that I could do, things that I could write. Um, I will sometimes get stuck, as I said, with uh, Prisoner of the Black Hawk. Sometimes I'll get stuck on a plot point because, um, you know, I've, I've, I've created a situation and now I've got to think about how 
the character, not me, my, myself, the writer, but how the character is going to make that work and how the character is going to make a decision or make a, you know, some form of action that is actually going to, you know, move them beyond whatever situation I've managed to get them, in, get them into. Um, and that can, that can take time sometimes. But what I tend to do is actually walk my way through it. Um, I am a massive believer in active meditation. Actual meditation, I am lousy at. I cannot turn my brain off at <laughs> I'm the same. all. I am terrible. Um, but active meditation, uh, you know, walking the dog, so tucking the problem into the back of my mind and just walking my way through it. There is something about that action that sort of seems to lodge, you know, dislodge solutions from my brain. Um, so I always say to people that if you if you're sitting there and you're trying to write and it's not coming easily for you, get up and walk away from it. Go and do something else, but do something that you don't have to think about. Do something that where your body is 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 moving. Things like folding the washing work really well for me. Things like weeding. I remember um, reading that Agatha Christie used to get her best ideas, you know, washing the dishes and staring mm-hmm. out the window. And I think that there's something about your your mind, your your mind sort of like quietly doing its business while your body is actively doing something else. Um, you can kind of sneak up on yourself that way. I think mm-hmm. that's probably. <laughs> Probably the best way to say it, but yeah, if you're if you're really sitting there and and it's not working for you, you have to walk away from it and come back and try and approach it from a different angle. And you're such a wonderful guest. You're answering my questions before I even ask oh, them. It's because I talk too much. <laughs> I was I was going to ask you if you have a daily practice that you use to inspire your writing. Um, so going for a walk. Well, yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I, I do, like, people, I think, always feel as though writing is one of those things where you have to waft about and be creative. Um, but the reality of writing, particularly long-form writing, um, novels and, and things like that, is, is actually showing up to your computer every day. It's showing up to your manuscript every day, whichever way you write. If you write in a notebook, it's actually turning up and sitting there. And even if you only write a paragraph, it's working on that paragraph and then walking away and coming back the next day and maybe there's going to be 3,000 words waiting for you the next day. So I, I, get, I walk the dog. I do all the bits and pieces I do because, you know, author life, uh, particularly once you've got books out, involves a lot of faffing about with admin like I do a lot Mm. of admin and I do a lot of um, you know keeping things ticking over with social media and I do a lot of um, responding to emails and I do um, I've sort of got you know writing groups that I organize and I've got all sorts of different things that I do and so um, I'm currently working on creating a new presentation for instance so I'll, I'll do that sort of thing but I always make space in that day uh, for at least for half an hour of, of getting some actual writing done if I'm actively working on a manuscript. Um, and it doesn't always work for me. Like some days are zero days just because they're, bit, they're busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do try to put words on the page. You know, if I'm actively working on a manuscript, I try to put words on the page most days of the week um, because it makes me feel better. I feel like I'm progressing. I feel like I've done my homework. If I don't do them, I, I, I feel like I've got this sort of like this, this this sense hanging over me all the time of not having completed my assignment, you know, Uh-oh. and it's due the next day. You know that feeling you had when you were at school and you haven't done it and you're trying to make yourself do it? Um, because I think the most difficult aspect of it is actually just starting. Once mm. you start, the words, you know, the words will come, um, even as I said, if they're only 200. But if you don't start, then you don't write anything and then you make no progress whatsoever. Mm. And that's when when you feel like you're not getting anywhere with a manuscript, that's when it's difficult. So for me, it's not about waiting for the muse. It's not about any of that sort of wafty creative stuff. It's about showing up. It's about routine. It's about discipline. And it's about getting the words down. And when I write the first draft, I'm always just thinking, I'm writing it just for myself. I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm not thinking about my editor reading it. I'm not thinking about my friends reading it. I'm just thinking about what is this story? Where is this character going? What what have they got to tell me? And, you know, sometimes I write stories and then, you know, even once I've done a rewrite on them, they're still not quite right. So I put them aside and I might come back to them a year later and have another look at them and think, hmm, maybe I can, you know, rework this now. Um there's a time for everything and sometimes you just got to wait for the right uh, the right source, I think. Um, and I'd love um, to take you back to the beginning of 
your career. Could you share with our listeners how you began as a writer? Well, that's a great question. So I actually, I've been a professional writer most of my life because I started out, um, I got a cadet uh, journalism cadetship when I was about uh, 18 or 19 and there was a lot of editing work involved in being a, a journalism cadet so you learn a lot about about voice you learn a lot about how to kind of how to work with other people's words in a respectful way um, and I did that for a long time I started writing features uh, as a freelancer um, and also you know obviously for the publications that I was working on um, and I didn't actually start writing fiction until probably my mid-20s I, I I suddenly decided that I'd been reading books my whole life and it had never occurred to me that maybe I could write one, even though I wrote all the time. Okay. Never really thought about the fact that I could be a person who wrote books, you know. Um, so I actually started out at that stage writing romance fiction because I was working in women's magazines. I was working at uh, like Clio and Cosmo and those sorts of magazines at the time and I understood the market. I understood the 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 reader I understood also like most people would look at Clio and Cosmo for instance and would not be able to see the difference in those two magazines but I knew what the difference was mm. and when you read romance um, there's subtle differences in all the different lines and all the different imprints and you need to know what you're writing and who you're writing for and what level of sex you're going to have in that book and all of those sorts of things what the voice is going to be like so I thought I could do this I'm going to do that so I sat down and I wrote a 60,000 word romance novel like I was targeting like a, a Mills and Boone line Harlequin, I think, and um, and I wrote, you know, what was technically probably a pretty good first romance book, but um, I I got some feedback on it, and they were like, you know what, Alison, you've done a really good job here, but where's the romance? Oh no, the <laughs> key is, element. Well, it's interesting because focusing in on a romance is really really hard I kept like I was like there were secondary characters and there were hilarious moments and there was all this stuff going on and um, the person who gave me the feedback said look I really feel like you need a bigger canvas you need to write you know commercial women's fiction you need to be aiming for that 90,000 words where the romance is a component but not the focus because the focus it's actually I found it very difficult to focus just on the romance mm. I just wanted all this other stuff to happen as well um, so then I wrote a couple of women's fiction manuscripts um, I've actually got three full-length manuscripts 90,000 word manuscripts and the second one of those was actually acquired by a publisher was actually taken up for publication and I was working through the edits on that novel um, when the uh, publisher who had actually bought the novel um, went on maternity leave and at that point, the book became what you kind of call an orphan within the publishing house. The person who took it over didn't really understand why the other, you know, the other person had bought it. They didn't really understand what we were trying to do with it. Um, there was a lot of changes that were asked for that I tried to incorporate that didn't then made it felt to me as though the book had become sort of like a bit lost in, mm. as to what it was. Um, and in the end, it was decided that that book wasn't going to be published. And I can tell you that if you think rejection is bad, um, that having a publishing company decide that, that they're not quite sure why they bought your book in the first place is much, much, much worse. It That's was heartbreaking. absolutely devastating. I was beside myself. Um, but I was also somewhat saved by at that point. So I had written another women's fiction manuscript, which I was working on. Um, but I had also, because I had an agent at this point, I had also had a discussion with my agent who had said to me, um, what are you working on? And I said, oh, I've got this. This is while the saga of the second manuscript was still unfolding. What are you working on? I, I, I've got this, you know, this new, this third women's fiction manuscript. And she said to me, you don't have anything for kids, do you? And I said, no, I, but I, I've got this random idea about map makers um, because I had sat on that idea for about six months. Like I'd mm -hmm. had those conversations with my son that I talked about earlier and I had thought to myself, wow, that would be a great book. Someone should write that. Like I can honestly tell you that was my conversation I had with him. Listen to this idea. Someone should totally write that. 
and he agreed that he thought it was a great idea. And then I didn't do anything with it because I didn't write children's fiction. I had no idea how to write children's fiction. Um, I knew it would have to be a series because it was going to be around the world um, mm. and it wasn't going to happen in one book. Um, I had no idea how to write, see, uh, write a series. So I had not done anything with it. Um, so she said to me, you know, do you have any ideas for kids? And I said, I've got this random idea about map makers. And she said, oh, that sounds good. What's it about? And I said, I have no idea. I will have to write it for you to find out. So she said, okay, you've got six weeks. Write me oh, wow. a draft. So no I wrote pressure. the draft. Well, it was really interesting, you know, because I sat down to write that book. And from the moment I wrote the first words, um, his father was sending him away is the first line of that book. Mm. Um, I wrote that those first words and then... It, I, I, I had it completed. I had the first draft done in six weeks because I was so excited by it. It was so much fun. I had not had that much fun writing anything, you know, ever, I don't think. Um, so I was I was showing up every day and there was no drama whatsoever with me doing that. I'd also read a lot of them because I had, um, you know, two young boys, nine and six, uh, and, you know, both great readers and I was also reading out loud to them. So I'd read a lot of that sort of in that sort of area. So I had actually taken on board a lot more than I think I even recognized you know mm. from reading all of these other books that that we'd read together and I think that stood me in great stead and also obviously I'd read a lot of that sort of stuff when I was a kid myself although you you know you think that you've taken it in by osmosis and you you don't actually even recognize how much you've taken on board mm. um so I wrote the first draft I sent it to her she came back to me and she said you don't need the middle scene which was I was like what do you mean it's absolutely crucial no you don't need it get rid of it so I took the middle scene out and did you know obviously a bit more of an edit based on her feedback and then she sent it out and and that was it that was my first book um was the Mapmaker Chronicles um braced to the end of the world so I think that publishing works in strange and mysterious ways mm, and I sounds think like that was meant to be well, I think so. and But I also think that all of those other books that I had written, I had learned a lot about how I write books. I'd learned a lot about what was required in a book structurally. And I think that sometimes it just takes time and things kind of like bubble up when they're ready to bubble up and we and, and we go forward from there. And I think recognising sometimes that the rejection aspect of things is horrific don't take, don't get me wrong but also necessary for us to actually challenge ourselves a bit and you know for that sort of growth as a writer I think it's um is is really important because you know my, my agent said to me at the time that that book was you know given back to us essentially by the publisher she said to me because I was you know heartbroken but she said to me is this really what you wanted to be your first book because you only ever get one mm. first book is that really what you wanted it to be? And, you know, when I thought about it, I thought maybe not. Um, anyway, it wasn't going to be my first book anyway, so that <laughs> that's how it happened. I always thought my first book would be a novel, but the first one's going to be a picture book. But I'm actually very happy because it's um, a story that connects me to my dad. Um, oh, so that's brilliant. I'm, I'm quite happy that it's going to be the first book. Um, now, you're a podcaster, I am a um, podcaster. So you've worked with Australian Writer Centre on the So You Want to Be a Writer, a co-hosting yeah. with Valerie Koo. Yeah, I co-hosted that one for seven years and 462 episodes. That's a lot of podcasting, a lot of talking. It's a lot of talking. And now you're working with Megan Daly on your kids' next read. That's right. How did that happen? How did you become a podcaster? Oh, well, again, I think you show up and these things sort of happen. Um, I was working with Valerie on various uh, things. I was teaching at the Australian Writers' Centre. We had worked together years ago at Clio. That's um, that's how we know each other. Uh, we had sort of sat opposite each other in, in desks in the back room at Clio, um, only for a short period of time. We were sort of in a crossover period and I was going off to work somewhere else. But we had met there. We had stayed in touch via various things because, you know, Valerie had, had done various things. She had... Um, you know, created shirts that were, that, you know, uh, she was, yeah, she was doing lots of different things at different times. She's um, very talented. She's incredibly talented. Well, isn't she? And yes, she is a very talented artist. Um, 
yeah, she's a really, really great, like amazing person. She's just got so much going on and there's always something new happening in her brain. Um, but we had, had actually, so I'd been teaching with her and we were doing some uh, various, you know, we had done a couple of uh, seminars and things together about uh, about blogging mostly. And um, we'd met Kerry Sackville uh, via, you know, via Hello, Twitter Kerry. and via that. Hi, Kerry. And um Kerry and Valerie and I decided that we would uh, we would do a, a podcast called Smack Talk, which was all about social media and pop culture and things like that. And we did that for about six months. But Kerry at the time was uh, incredibly busy doing, you know, eight billion different things and had a lot going on. Um, and so she eventually said, look, I can't fit this in anymore. So Val and I were like, okay, what are we going to do here? And, and we decided, we just sort of had this whole conversation and we were like, why are we not talking about writing given that's what we do you know <laughs> why are we not doing that um and so that's sort of where so you want to be a writer was born and we just sort of went from there we kind of made it up as we went along and we learned a lot on the on the job of of what the podcast would be and um and i was sort of interviewing authors uh, i think graham simsian was our very first um, our very first episode, but I was sort of like sitting up in the middle of the night and talking to, you know, best-selling authors in the in the US and stuff like that, just thinking, how did I get here? I've got, I, I was practically having to speak like I was Harry Potter under the stairs because <laughs> I had a whole house full of sleeping children around me and I'm just sort of like, and they'd be like, you're very quiet. It's like, yes, I'm trying not to wake my family up. So, um, you know, we learned a lot along the way, but that, that's basically how it happened. It was sort of like we'd started out with this other thing and then we thought, you know, you know what we need to do is actually um, just talk about writing. Let's talk about what we love and talk about what we know. And that turned out to be a great recipe for success. Amazing. And how did your kids' next read come about? Oh, well, that, so that was an interesting thing too. Like this, again, this is one of those situations of sometimes not seeing what's right in front of your face. Mm. So the Your Kids Next Read Facebook community started about five years ago, four or five years ago. Um, and it began because I was like being asked a lot. People, I, I would run into people in the street and they would they would say, oh, I've got this seven-year-old who really loves treehouse. What can he read next? And I remembered, you know, when my, uh, particularly my oldest son, who was uh, quite an advanced reader and I spent my life trying to find stuff that was suitable for him that was, you know, like interesting enough but wasn't, you know, full of themes and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I just sort of like one day thought, oh, you know, because Megan and I had been friends uh, via social media and things like that for a long time. And I just sort of reached out to her one day and I said, oh, why don't we start a Facebook community about, you know, where people can ask for book recommendations and, and you know, bring together sort of authors and booksellers and teacher librarians and teachers and parents and, and all of that. And she was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So we started this group and I did not really probably fully realise how popular it was going to be. Like we mm. had um, – 24,000 members at the moment. Um, so it's pretty busy. I remember. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love seeing, um, yeah, just people reaching out and um, then when someone else answers, I'm like, oh, I need to read that. So I yeah, get um, it's, look, it's a wonderful place and it's a really warm, it's a very friendly. We, we work so hard to keep it, you know, spam free and we work so hard to make sure that the, that it's just that sort of really, we're all about, you know, it being a safe place to have your conversations about your kids and what they're, what they're reading and what they like and what they don't like. And, um, we had to bring in, um, Alison Rushby joined us probably, I don't know, maybe a year after we first began because we needed another moderator. Um, mm. it was already starting to get very, very busy. Um, and now it's, it's, it's incredibly busy, but it's also a very, very respectful environment. Mm. So we've got this wonderful community going. I'm doing the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast. It's all happening. Um, and then I, <laughs> I woke up one morning and I thought, what, why are we not doing this as a podcast? Like, there's like there's so much content coming out of the group itself, let alone what what Megan and I can bring to it. Um, so I contacted Megan and just said, "Oh, how do you feel about a podcast?" And she was like, 
oh, why didn't we think of that before? I'm like, I don't know, because we're slow to the <laughs> – slow to it? I don't know. Um, so we started it about a year ago, um, and it's been – you know, it's proved to be really popular. It's like an extension of the conversation um, of, of the things that we that we talk about in the Your Kids Next Read group. We're very, very supportive of Australian authors. We have a book mail section each week where we talk about, you know, new things that are coming out. Um, we have a bingo question where we uh, will raise, you know, anything that's sort of like being discussed in the group, you know, at that time um, and give our two cents worth and our book recommendations for that. Um, and we sort of do, we do quick tips each week where I, I'm often talking about, you know, tips for kids for writing or tips for authors and, and Megan's obviously bringing in that teacher librarian expertise, the celebrity teacher librarian expertise that she has. Um, and we just really enjoy talking to each other. And I think that's the thing with the Val, um, with So You Want to Be a Writer as well. Uh, the, it's it's very easy to do a podcast with someone that you really like and respect, mm. um, that you know is bringing the expertise that you, you know, possibly don't have. Um, so Valerie and I were always, you know, yin and yang and um, – chocolate banoffee you know whatever you want <laughs> who and eeyore however you want to do it because she was she's very much like all her expertise is in features non-fiction branding teaching that sort of thing mine was more fic, you know the fiction side of things plus all those other bits as well um and so we we really like complemented each other and i think megan and i bring you know those sort of complementary perspectives as well because she brings the teacher librarian i bring the author we both bring the parent we've got you know x number of kids between us um plus of course you know everybody else that we know that we just you know throw under a bus occasionally so it's um it's yeah it's it's an easy thing to do when you're when the conversation flows and you mm. don't have to think too hard about it and that's that's i think why podcasting works for me because listen to me here banging on it <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's, I'm um, finding it hard to discuss these things. And it's so, perfect. You know, I'm a good listener. <laughs> I, I, you are. And, you know, good listeners are brilliant. Good listeners are amazing. Um, so that's – I think podcasting just came from that. And I like podcasting much more than video. I don't like yeah. looking at myself. Mm, and so I'm, I'm a lot happier to have people, you know, listening to what I'm saying rather than necessarily looking at me while I'm saying it. So I think podcasting is brilliant from that perspective. And it's so intimate. Yes. You know, you're in someone's ears. I, I just think, you know, and, and there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that as well, which I, I don't take lightly. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's it's uh, it's possibly my favourite medium. And I love interviewing people. I love it. Same. I love my chats that I have with mm. my authors that come on Totally Lit. Um, it's a really, you really get to connect with them for that 45 minutes that you're chatting. You do. Um Although I hope they haven't forgotten me now that <laughs> they've got to back out into the world. Um, sure, how could they forget you? Now, speaking of your knowledge and expertise, um, can you tell me about your online writing community, Write with Alison Tate? Oh, look, I'm so excited about it. We had a we had an Access Our Areas Q and A last night. Um, so it's a it's a it's an online writing group. It's um, run through a private Facebook um, Facebook group. There's like a whole library in there of, of different articles about, you know, the different stages of writing. Um, there are links to different podcast interviews that I've done over the years that are particularly relevant to different subjects. Um, I share news. I share information. I share inspiration where I can. Um, we do uh, one, what I call an Access L areas, which is a Ask Me Anything sort of Q&A style Zoom. We do one of those uh, a month. And then I also do an industry insider interview each month as well. Uh, so last last month we talked to Graham Simpson because I just like the synergy of him having been my very first, you know, podcast uh, um, interview. And then I thought oh, for my nice. writing group, mm. he could be my very first one as well. And he's also just brought out a really great book um, called The Novel Project, which is all about, you know, the structure uh, sort of the process of writing a novel and mm -hmm. um, his process is very planned and very structured and it, it, it's based on screenwriting. It's a really, really useful book. Um, so we talked about that obviously as part of our uh, part of our interview. Um, this month I'm talking to Anna Featherstone about uh, she wrote a book called 
Look, It's Your Book, which is a guide to um, indie publishing in Australia. Uh, she's also been traditionally published. We're going to talk about the, the differences between those two things and where they cross over. We're going to talk a bit about branding because, you know, the thing that you soon recognise once you um, dip your toe into being an author is that um, – Publishing companies, when they, if, whether you're traditionally published or whether you're indie published, you are going to have to do a lot of the book promotion mm -hmm. and the book publicity and the author branding yourself. Um, so the sooner you get started and the sooner you get your head around what's required with that sort of thing, the better off you're going to be because it can be incredibly overwhelming and you can't wait until your book comes out. Like you can't wait to start until then. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about that, but yeah, for me, it's just a great, it's like, I'm, I'm calling it inspiration, information, motivation, and connection, which is nice. what the group is all about. Um, we're currently undertaking a write a book with Al challenge, hashtag write Ooh, a book with Al, that sounds exciting. which is, yeah, I, I've done it for the last couple of years and this year I'm just doing it, you know, exclusively within the group, but it's a basically a daily word count challenge. So I'm writing a book at the moment. I will post my word counts each day as to, you know, what I've got done, whether it be zero words, whether it be 200, whether it be a thousand, and everybody's invited to do the same thing. And all it is, is a group motivation. So you get that sort of accountability of, okay, I've said that I want to participate in this and I want to write a book. Now I need to show up and do it. And it's just that little bit extra impetus you need, mm -hmm. knowing that other people are doing it. Um, it just brings you that little bit of extra motivation to actually sit down and get words done. And all of the group members at the moment are, you know, have been sending me emails saying how, um, how pleased they are at the way that, you know, their manuscripts are progressing since they joined the group. So Great. I'm loving it. So how can our listeners connect with you to join your online writing community? Uh, if you go to alisontait.com, which is my website, Alison being A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com, um, and you go to the tab for writers, there's the online writing group is under that, and all the information that you need is there. Um, I also have a little video presentation there, which is called um, Seven Things You Must Know to Be a Children's Author that I produced with uh, Sue Whiting. It's just a little one-hour um, seminar there, which is um, is available. So I'm just starting to kind of like put together some of the some some easy ways for people to access all of the stuff that floats around in my head on a daily basis, mm. really. And you also run creative career coaching sessions as well. Which I do. I've done one, folks. It was awesome. Oh, thank you, Kyle. Um, I sort of did a bit of my writing career and a bit of my podcasting career. I was like, help me, Alison. <laughs> yeah, I look, I really enjoy them. Uh, it's a one-on-one -on -one Zoom session for an hour. Uh, the agenda is set by whoever it is that I'm talking to. So whatever aspect of, um, you know, of your writing career you want to talk about, I'm happy to talk about, you know, getting the words written. I'm happy to talk about how to sort of start to build your author brand. I'm happy to talk about podcasting, writing, features, any aspect of a blogging, social media, like any aspect of, of, um, of a creative career that you would like to discuss, I'm happy to, to discuss. And the, the uh, you'll find that under the Four Writers tab on my, um, on my website as well. Great. Okay, so now I have some quick fire questions for you. Ooh, okay, I'm braced. Just so our listeners can get to know the real Alison. Can <laughs> you can you tell me your favourite book growing up? Oh, I find these questions so hard. Um, I I think my favourite. Well, I actually had a favourite series. I was an absolute goner for the Trixie Belden series, oh, and yes. I used to wait with bated breath. I think I had about forty of them by the time I um, sort of finally grew out of them. My mum was very happy, um, and yeah, they they were my absolute favourites. The mystery again, you know, it, can't, it always comes back to mystery and crime novels are are actually still my favourite thing to read. Um, so if you could be any book character, who would it be? I think I would be Hermione Granger. I think nice. she's awesome. And I think, you know, Harry would have been nothing without her. So true. <laughs> so true. And what are you reading right now? 
Oh, that's a good question. What am I reading right now? I've actually got a couple of things that are on my to be read pile because I'm just about to start reading a few things to talk about on the Your Kids Next Read. Um, and the one that I'm really looking forward to is The Museum of Broken Things by Lauren Draper. Mm-hmm. Um, it just arrived in my, in my sort of mail, my mailbox. Uh, yesterday I think it was and I'm very much looking forward to having a read of that so that'll be my my current read as of probably this afternoon this one's my favorite question it might not be yours though oh dear okay if you could invite five literary people to dinner who would they be interesting literary people so not characters but writers yeah any really anyone if it can be a character or you can just invite Valerie and Megan over for dinner if you like. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be funny. Uh, let's see. I think that, well, to be honest with you, I was—I just posted on social media recently about the fact that I was wishing that I could go and have lunch with, um, a couple of years ago, I went and had lunch with Jacqueline Harvey, Sue Whiting, Belinda Morell and R.A. Spratt. Um, and it was just a brilliant, brilliant day. So mm. I would have those guys um, and whichever other local children's author would happen to be around. The Kidlet community in Australia is so incredibly fun and welcoming. Mm. Um, it's a really, really great sort of um, place for connecting with people, for making friends, and I think that um, – you know, there's nothing better than sitting around with a bunch of your friends who write and just talking about writing and the industry and that. So I think I would have those guys. I think that would be fun. Okay, last question. What advice would you give yourself if you could go back to the beginning of your writing career? I think that I would say to myself that the best and the actual best skill and the skill that I needed to develop the fastest was actually patience. Mm-hmm. Um It took me a long time to learn to manage my own expectations and to learn that waiting is an absolutely essential part of being a writer. It's really depressing and it's really disappointing, but it is actually just part of the process. And if you can learn to wait in an active way uh, by Mm. doing constructive things while you're waiting, writing another book, for instance, um, it's going to stand you in really, really long stead, uh, good stead, you know, going forward. So I think, and I've never been, I've always felt like I'm actually in entirely the wrong industry because I have never been a patient person, uh, but I have learned to develop it now over nearly 10 years. Um, So I think I would tell you know, pre-mapmaker Alison, that she needed to develop patience stat. Okay, so that's all my quick-fire questions. So I'm just wondering what new projects or books you have in the pipeline. Is there anything coming up? I'm working on a couple of new manuscripts at the moment. I don't have a publishing date uh, on anything. Disappointingly, I'd love to be able to say, my next book is coming out in October 22, um, but I'm not. that's not where I'm at at the moment. I'm working on a couple of new things. I've got um, two manuscripts out for submission, um, and I'm just waiting to – waiting, see, there you go, I'm mm-hmm. waiting. Um, that's, that's kind of where I am. I think that's the other thing that you need to recognise about an author – career is that it really has ebbs and flows like every aspect of writing um you know you'll have times where you've got three books coming out in a year which i have that's you know an experience that i have been through and that is as challenging in its own way as not having a book coming out this year um i do have some exciting news about the maven and reeve series but i'm not allowed to say anything publicly about that just yet Patience, patience. patience. I know. Look at me. See how, (laughs) see how, how I've come along. See how I've matured. Um, so yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, I think even when it looks like there's nothing happening for an author, there's always a lot of things going on in the background. And, um, it's just a matter of learning that that is just how an author career goes, unfortunately. Mm. Um, now this is just one last little question that I thought of this morning. Um, do you have a piece of advice that you'd like to share with aspiring writers who are looking to move to either being emerging or established authors? Look, I think that the the best advice that I can give people is is to persist. It it really is one of those industries 
where persistence is actually the key. If you give up the first time someone says no or you give up the first time or, or you, you don't submit because you're worried about what people might say or you're worried about getting rejected, um, then you you won't have a career. Um, the authors who have careers are the people who can go past the rejections and, you know, like I could have given up at the point that my book that was acquired then was unacquired. I could have given up at that point because it really was very difficult for me. Um, but that's not who I am. And I think that if you want to be, you know, an author, if you want to be emerging or you want to be established or you want to be a superstar or whatever it is that your writing dream might be, the only way you are going to get there is if you persist, if you keep writing, if you, you know, keep going back and thinking about what, what went wrong with the last one and how you're going to make it better with the next one. Um, that's the key to it. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Alison. You're most welcome, Kai. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome anytime. I've enjoyed our chat so much today. Writing stories for children can seem like a very simple task, but there is a skill involved in bringing memorable characters and their worlds to life. Anyone can write a picture book, but not everyone can write a picture book that becomes a child's favourite bedtime story. The best children's picture books fire up their imaginations, evoke emotion, and stay within their memories forever. Authors Online was created to provide aspiring authors the knowledge, skills and resources they need to become a published children's book author. Our extensive industry knowledge will be shared with you and provide you with the basic principles behind writing for children, picture book publishing guidelines and updates on the current market and publishing environment. And as a special offer for Totally Lit listeners, if you go to authorsonline.com.au, you can apply the discount code of LIT20, that's lit two zero to access discount content at authorsonline.com.au. Totally Lit is an independent podcast. You can help support us to continue to chat with wonderful Australian creatives by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our socials with your friends. You can also make a contribution at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash totally lit. This will also help with equipment and podcasting platform fees, etc. I love to interact with our listeners, so feel free to say hello either by email or social media. You can email me at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. I've also recently created a group on Facebook called Totally Lit Writing Community. It's a space to continue the conversation and share your writing successes, events, launches and latest projects. Jump onto the group and say hello. Thank you for listening to Totally Lit and don't forget to go out into the world to read, write, create, ignite. Bye.